welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Great Shot Kid, the Nerd Party's podcast that looks at the technical and inspirational side of the Star Wars saga. Um, And I am one of your hosts, John, and with me as always is Mike. Mike, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Glad to be reunited, Yeah, to be honest with you. It's, it's been, been a while. It's been a while, for sure. Yeah. It's been too long. This is like Han and Lando coming back together. Yep. You know? Yep. The peanut butter and the jelly coming back together. We're, we're going we're gonna to make some crazy stuff happen here. And uh, before we get into today's show, just want to mention, of course, as part of the Nerd Party, we are part of a network of shows with a lot of great content. We've got Nerd Nuptial. We've got Alpost. We've got Aggressive Negotiations. We've got Filibuster. We've got SETI Alpha 3. We've got Punch It. We've got more shows coming your way all the time. So go to the nerdparty.com. Check out. You'll find something that appeals to what you love to watch and what you love to consume. So again, that's the nerdparty.com. So today's topic for Great Shot Kid. Uh, is we're going to be taking a look at, I, I actually have sort of a, a, a question, a theory here, and I want to test it. I want to throw, it up, throw spaghetti at the wall and see you know, what you think about it, Mike. Recently, um, as anybody listening to Aggressive Negotiations knows, I had the privilege of going and touring ILM. Thanks again to Nick Anastasio for graciously welcoming me and Matthew Rushing in uh, to tour the place. And one of the things that sort of came to me as we were looking at a piece of film history that they had there, which is the optical compositor that put together the effects for the Ten Commandments, one of the things that struck me, and I want to throw this out to you, Mike, is that for all of the talk about Lucas handing over Star Wars, for all of the talk about Disney taking it over, we tend to focus on the content and whether it's a good or a bad thing, or whether it's a neutral thing, and we're just going to get movies that we like. But one of the things that struck me is that Lucas leaving Star Wars is overall maybe a bad thing for the film industry, because we've lost a vehicle for somebody who wanted to continually drive innovation. And so, do you think it's a net negative that Lucas is no longer doing Star Wars films for from a technical standpoint. You know, it's an interesting question, and it's one which I guess I hadn't really considered in that particular uh, sense. You know, because obviously everyone thinks of the stuff that he brought to the table. You know, in the past, you know, and how he has been a leader in innovation. You know, from Star Wars all the way on up through you know Episode Three, and, and not just in the Star Wars movies, but in really kind of like all of his movies that he produced and everything like that, whether it was, you know, even like Willow or, you know, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, I think is a really big one, or even Radioland Murders and, and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, that was just kind of his thing. I mean, he that's what he, you know, kind of built his company around. And, you know, obviously you get into things like, you know, capture formats, you know, digital versus film and presentation formats, digital versus film and all that other stuff. And he really was someone who was always like pushing those boundaries. And, you know, when they said that they were making new Star Wars, I didn't really consider 
that aspect to it. Like, would it be better if someone else was making new Star Wars or would it be better if he was making new Star Wars because of the innovation? And um, I guess since he was kind of out of the game for a while at that point, you know, by his own, you know, design, it was never really something which I thought of as being sort of like a downside to to Disney taking over because mm-hmm. he wasn't really doing any innovation on his own. You know, I mean, maybe it's like, yeah, if he had come back to do like episode seven, but I guess it that was never something that I considered to be even a possibility. So mm-hmm. when they said like Disney is making new Star Wars, I wasn't thinking like we're getting more of what Star Wars gave the world in terms of its innovation. I was thinking more of we're getting more Star Wars, like literally. And I I Mm -hmm. guess I would hope that there would be other people out there who would sort of like pick up, you know, Lucas's mantle in the technical arena. And, you know, maybe while they're not making Star Wars, they are doing their own thing in order to sort of push those boundaries. And I think James Cameron is someone who has really done that. I mean, he was doing that prior to the prequels and all that stuff, you know, in the in the dark times, you know, from 83 to 99. <laughs> yeah, but but see, here here's a difference in approach. Um, and I can't take full credit for this. This was, um, you know, somebody else... Uh, it gave me this nugget to think about and I've sort of chewed it over. You mentioned Cameron. Cameron is about innovation as it specifically impacts himself and the films that he wants to release. I'm not saying that as a knock on him, but I'm saying that Cameron thinks along the terms of, or seems to think along the terms of, I want to do X. Therefore I will find a better way to do X. Whereas Lucas's mindset is, I want to figure out a way to do why, which is better for everyone. And I want to test it and see if it works. So I'm going to make a movie just to see if I can make that happen. I think you need to expand on that. I get the Cameron part, right? Okay. But I mean, to me, I've always seen Lucas is doing pretty much the same exact thing. Well, I would say that when you have, um, you know, the example of ILM through time or the example of uh, the different editing processes that he's introduced. He's introduced them, yes, and he's used them, you know, once once they've been innovated. Yeah, the, the, sort of the thing that drives them, you know, to use the, the tried and true example, you know, he always cited, uh, you know, the advance of digital technology was the moment where he said, okay, I can make the prequels now. And then he sort of picked it up and he said, but what's a better way to do these things overall for everyone? I mean, it, you know, it's it sort of informed his whole, if you go all the way back to when he helped um, set up Zotrope with Coppola and the whole impetus behind setting up Skywalker Ranch was to set up a place, a retreat, an area for filmmakers to come where they can just worry about innovating. And it seems to me that Yes, he wanted these new tools so that he could do what he wanted. But at the same time, he wanted to help innovate these tools to share them with everybody. And it's not a byproduct of what he did, 
but rather a driving force behind what he did to develop these new things. Does that distinction make sense? I, I guess I see what you're saying, you know, in, in terms of ILM. I mean, like, I, I, I do remember the whole story of, you know, <laughs> like, I think Kirshner tells, tells this where he, like, brings him into his office and he's like, do you know why you're making this movie? It's for this. And he shows him, like, the, you know, the the blueprints or whatever it is for mm-hmm. Skywalker Ranch, you know. And I, I, I like the idea that, you know, he always sort of, like, puts the money that he makes back into the industry. He invests in, in, you know, the art form and everything. And certainly I guess he has done that. I guess I was thinking more in terms of like specific techniques and stuff like that. But no, I mean, I I do see what you're, you're saying in that regard, you know, but I, I, I think that that Cameron ends up sort of doing the same thing, whether he likes it or not. I mean, we saw this firsthand. I mean, after years and years and years of Lucas pushing digital in movie theaters, right? And mm-hmm. theaters not biting because, I mean, let's face it, economically there was no reason for them to bite. It was Cameron who's like, I want 3D. And, you know, pushed that forward and and made it work. You know, I mean, certainly with the help of, of a lot of other very you know, talented and innovative people, but to figure out a way to bring 3D to the masses and to f- in in turn figure out a way to get theaters to see digital as something which was, uh, you know, economically uh, beneficial. And mm. it's like that is something which you could say, depending on who you talk to, is a benefit to to the industry on the whole and that now we have digital projectors in basically every single movie theater across the world, right? So mm-hmm. it's like while he didn't set up a a company in order to like provide a, a space for filmmakers to do their thing or for filmmakers to, you know, um develop new technologies which each other can use. It, it it was you know sort of a case of like this is something that I want, and uh, this is how we can achieve this, and we're gonna make it happen so that everybody eventually will benefit from it. Does that make any sense? No, it does make sense. It almost seems like they're flipped. I I mean I I guess I would uh, uh change things then because it almost seems then because I accept that, that they're flip sides of the same coin. You need somebody who's driving the innovation in the background. And then this is the only term I can think of, and I don't mean it as a knock, but the snake oil salesman who can go forward and be like, and this is why you need it in your life. So basically then, I I suppose I I would modify it a little bit, that do you think that then there is a step backward because you have Lucas the innovator and then Cameron the salesman in that, in that sort of analogy, do you think that something is lost once the innovator is gone and the salesman doesn't have something to sell in in a sense? You know, Lucas sets up this infrastructure. Somebody else sees it and says, oh, yeah, that is the way to go. You're right. And but once the idea man is gone and the thing is, I'm not I'm not pushing this forward to be like, oh, everything's over and film industry will not go forward because Lucas is gone. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm. 
I feel like there's a creative impulse that is lost that their star Wars no longer becomes an innovative series in terms of technology. It no longer becomes a series where you say, you know what, regardless of what I like about the movie, the technology that I see on display there, I'm going to say, wow, they pushed it. They got it. And so that to me, I mean, that's even evidenced by the, at, you know the the marketing campaign that went into the Force Awakens, where they were like, "Oh no, we're turning back the clock. We're going backwards. We're using stuff that people haven't used, you know, for twenty years, and we're going to go backwards. Go backwards. Go backwards. Nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia." Whereas if Lucas had been there, he would have said, uh, "I'm going to the next level. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna push it to the next, the, the next envelope. I'm gonna do it even bigger." I, I guess like the, the thing that I see there, and I mean, obviously there is something which is lost in terms of you know Disney taking over, you know where, you know taking over from Lucas from Lucasfilm, and I mean this is obviously something which has been said a million times before, but you know the idea that we've lost an individual artist's voice, you know whether or not you liked what he was saying, it was important that you had something like that, someone who was mm-hmm. unique, you know, who was making movies on this scale, you know, I mean, that, that was, that was a really important thing. And now, I mean, Star Wars has essentially become the same thing as, you know, Marvel or whatever. And, you know, all mm-hmm. of these things are very high quality. I haven't seen a Marvel movie. I haven't liked, I haven't seen a Star Wars movie. I haven't liked, but at the same time, it is a product, you know, there are interchangeable pieces as we're seeing on uh, the Han Solo movie, you know, and it's not so much about artist's vision as it is about product. And, um, you know, that that's definitely a problem. And because that's, that is what it is, you know, you're not going to get um, the, someone like Lucas, who's maybe willing to, because I mean, this is like what I see with it, right? This is how I see the, the difference between these two things. Lucas is willing to push the envelope so far that he's willing to essentially get rather experimental with the technology and Mm -hmm. do things which may or may not work. And at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, you know, I mean, like, if you watch, have you ever seen that that documentary side by side about, like, film versus digital? No, I haven't. It's amazing. It's Keanu Reeves just interviewing people for like an hour and a half about... Does he steal a paparazzi camera <laughs> while he's doing a it? A digital one, yeah, not a film one, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing documentary. It was on Netflix for a while. I don't know if it still is, but they, they talked to everyone, everyone who you'd want to hear you know, talk about the subject or whatever. And, you know, obviously they talk a lot about the prequels and, you know, Attack of the Clones being shot digitally and everything. And they talk to a lot of cinematographers who are like, that movie looks like garbage, you know, just like like on a on a pure and, and they do that with a lot of like the early digital, you know, technology like. You know, they'll say things like this camera was completely impractical, like on Apocalypto, you know, like, what are they doing? Why why do they try to make it function like a film camera and all this stuff? And then you see how the technology, like, progresses over time. But, like, you look at it back in those early days, and there's a lot of people who are like, they weren't ready. Like, it was not ready. And there's people today, like, you know, Christopher Nolan, who are like, it's still not ready, right? 
See, okay, see, that's funny because I actually have had, uh, I, I had many arguments with my, my friend Joey. I would fall into the camp, I guess, um, and not just because Lucas was in this camp, but I guess I would, it would be in the Lucas camp where even if it wasn't necessarily working right when I want it to, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And if I want to push the envelope forward, I have to be willing to say, you know what, this isn't perfect. This isn't exactly what I want it to be, but it is almost there, and somebody has to take that first step. Somebody has to be the one to say, you know what, I'm I'm going to go for broke, and I'm going to try it. And I actually remember from, I forget which behind-the-scenes piece or promotional piece it was, where it was actually John Knoll being interviewed back during The Phantom Menace, where he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I can't remember the exact quote, but it always stuck with me, where he said, you know, there's a school of thought that, you know, people say that they they want effects that look completely realistic and they don't want to do it unless it does. And he said, I guess I'm of the school where I want to push the envelope and see what works, you know, and, and if it doesn't work completely, well, we'll get it right next time. And... That is, do you, I mean, is it possible that that is part of the frustration is that people, I, I mean, almost like there's a trap where filmmakers are in this trap now, Lucas included, but, you know, all the other filmmakers as well, where if it's not perfect, if it's not completely convincing, they are going to get pilloried for what they've attempted to do. I guess you could say in a lot of ways, it's a trap. But, um, <laughs> unfortunately, but, yes, you can. but, you know, I don't know, like, like, here's the thing, like, I totally agree with what you're saying about like what, what Lucas was doing, you know, he was pushing things, even though they might not be ready. And it's important to take that step. And the fact that he was willing to take that step on like three of the biggest movies ever made is really, really impressive in a lot of ways. And he did definitely, uh, take a, a lot of heat for doing that. You know, I mean, but the, the the rewards are obviously very beneficial. I mean, someone who's, you know, sort of like career, I find to be absolutely fascinating, um, is Roger Guyot, the visual mm-hmm. effects, mm-hmm. you know, like supervisor on oh, yeah. um, episode three. Because I remember yeah. seeing him, he was at Celebration 3. And I remember seeing him at a panel where he was like doing a breakdown of the the work that he was doing on episode three. And in the Q&A, someone asked him, what are you working on next? And it was like one of those con moments where he's like, I know exactly what I'm doing next, but I can't tell you, you know, and he kind of like let it slip out. He's like well, I don't know for sure, but I think maybe Mission Impossible 3. And, like, the way he said it, you're like, okay, he's doing Mission Impossible 3 next, but, like, they haven't announced it. So, you know, okay, cool. And then when Mission Impossible 3 came out, you know, the following year, there's his name on the credits. And obviously, you know, J.J. Abrams directed that movie. And Abrams being the type of guy that he is, you know, I'm assuming this is how it works, but, you know, he finds crew members that he likes and he takes them to his next thing so then guy it does the effects on star trek you know and and all of you know jj abrams's other movies until he finally gets back to episode seven and who does he bring on to 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 do the effects is guy it and it it was like 
like Guy does episode three. Episode three leads leads to JJ. JJ leads him back to episode seven. But like if mm-hmm. JJ wasn't there, it's not like they were going to say like, oh, Guy, it was so good on you know episode three. We need to bring him back for episode seven. Like that's not the way that it went, right? Yeah. So JJ being JJ is going to use the technology which is best at the time. He maybe isn't the innovator that Lucas was, right? But he's like, film is better than digital, so I'm going to use film. Like, Guyot is the best visual effects supervisor, or, you know, at least, you know, for him. You know, in, in, in this, I, I imagine it's similar to like him working with a cinematographer. He might not be the best in the world, but he's the best for JJ, right? And mm-hmm. yet, what you're going to do, obviously, is use all of the tools and skills and everything that Guyot developed on episode three. So, in a weird way, while right. JJ is rejecting the stuff that didn't work, in episode three, he's also embracing the stuff that did. You know what I mean? He is embracing the stuff that did. And I do, you know, and this has become a thing for me too, is because the the whole lead up was we're going back to basics. We're going back to, you know, the older technologies. But then if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, the limited behind the scenes stuff that they allowed out about episode seven, that it was such a cheat. They used so much more digital than they were willing to admit in the lead up to it. But I agree with you that there is a certain poetry to it because JJ can come in and say, oh, well, I want this and I want that. Guyette knows what he's saying, but Guyette was also there, like you said, for episode three. And so there's a full circle thing where he can say, now the now is the point where I can use everything that I did back there, but make it more perfect this time, move it forward. But here's my question. But, oh, I'm sorry. Go yeah. No, no, no. Go on. Go on. Go on. But here's my question. Like, yeah. you're talking about, like, everything that everyone's saying, everything that's on the, you know, you know, promotional mm-hmm. materials and everything like that. <clears throat> and certainly J.J. would say that, right? J.J. would say, we're going back to basics. We're going back to film and everything. But it's not like J.J. was doing a bunch of weird, crazy digital stuff and then was like, Oh, here's my chance to make a Star Wars movie. I'm going to shoot this one on film. You know, I'm going to use... Uh-huh. Po- it's like, that's what J.J. does. Like, that's what he's done yes. his entire career. He's never oh, shot I, a movie digitally. You I'm, know? Not, yeah, and, I'm not holding him personally responsible for it. But that's, that's no. the thing, though, right? Like, this, this is my thinking. Like, J.J. was being J.J., and it just happened to align with the message which Disney wanted to send to the fans, which is this is a return to the thing that you love, right? Uh-huh. And I, they pushed it so far that people were saying like, oh, no CGI, blah, blah, blah. When in reality, like I think if you were to talk to JJ about that stuff, he wouldn't be like, we're getting back to basics. He'd just be like, 
we're doing some things that I really like that they did in the first movie, and we're doing some things that they really liked in the prequels. And, you know, that's the way it works, because there's a long, long history of film, and I'm going to uh-huh. grab from it all. And, yes, I'm going to use practical sets, because they look way better than the digital sets, which you know, Lucas was using on the prequels. But yes, I'm going to use CGI that was developed for the prequels because there's a lot of it, which worked really well. You know what I mean? Right. I think that, I, that y- a lot, that's a lot more to do with marketing than it has to do with the reality of the situation. Right. And I don't, still... and, and I don't think, I'm sorry. And, and I don't no, no, think that on. JJ and the filmmakers are like, shh, don't tell anyone. This character CGI, we can't let anyone know. I think maybe Disney did that, but they were just like, screw it. We're making our movie and we're using everything that we can because okay. we've got it, Disney money, you know? All right. All right. Okay. Sorry. Well, we, we, we won't get into a thing about Mr. It's Not Khan and, and whether okay, he's well, an expert at subterfuge or anything fair like enough. that. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. He's as but, guilty as Disney is in terms of marketing stuff, but... Yeah. But what what I will throw out there is it still gets back to the point that they are choosing filmmakers who, yes, I, I'm not taking anything away from Abrams. I love The Force Awakens. And, you know, I overall, I really enjoyed Rogue One and stuff like that. But they're not grabbing people who are innovators. I want, maybe I'm crazy for this, but I want somebody to come into my space epic and say, I'm not necessarily saying that I want them to shoot it, uh, you know, on on you know that it that it should be like a metalocalypse where they're shooting their next one on water because it 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 serves the greatest thing and that's that is a really obscure cartoon shout out to anybody that ever watched metalocalypse death clock rules okay but i want somebody in that chair i do i want somebody in that chair to say okay yeah we're doing this we're doing that but how are we going to break it how are we going to push harder and that's the thing that i think gets lost with lucas did he push too hard on the prequels that's something you can debate till you're blue in the face but i want somebody to say okay here we go we're pushing we're pushing and on this one thing i'm gonna push harder than anybody else and we're gonna make it crazy because again going back to phantom menace behind the scenes stuff and i think it was noel again where the, he talked about finishing Phantom Menace and they all wrapped and everything. And Lu- he said, Lucas walked in and said, you know what? I held back because I thought you guys couldn't do certain things, but I think you can now. And so I'm going to throw down the gauntlet for episode two. And Noel laughing and saying, and that all made us a little bit scared. I want somebody in that chair for my space epic. This isn't, this isn't shooting uh, you know, an historical epic. And saying, you know, I want uh, Gungans in the background of the, you know, the Battle of Waterloo or anything like that. This is somebody saying, I want a crazy sinkhole planet or I want a completely CG species or, or, or that sort of thing, you know? I mean, what you're describing is Avatar. You're, you're describing exactly what James Cameron Yeah, but I doing. want good as well as oh, that. Oh, no, see, you can't specify like that because you were just okay. saying that you want someone to, to, to push the boundaries... <laughs> So much so that they're not afraid to break it. They're not afraid to make a crappy movie, right? And if they make a crap <laughs> okay, movie, no, okay, fair point, fair point. They make a crap movie, and that's the that's the price you have to pay 
in order to get a freaking you know Jar Jar Binks on your screen. You know what I mean? Okay. And no, that's, that's fair. That's no, what. Okay. That's what James Cameron is doing. You know, like like Avatar or not, like 3D or not, like high frame rate or not, like you know motion capture or banshees or all the other stuff that's in that movie. He's doing that like super hardcore, like four movie, you know, sequels in 10 years after the original comes out or not. Like, they'll be made eventually. Know, Cirque du Soleil shows or theme parks <laughs> or any of that. He's doing that hardcore with this, with this franchise. He's flat out said that he intends to go on making Avatar movies for the rest of his life because he feels like he can tell any story that he wants to tell in that world, you know? So that is his Star Wars. That's it. He's he's found his 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 galaxy far far away and it's Avatar Land. It's what's the name of it? Pandora. So there are people who are doing that. Peter Jackson is doing that. I I don't know. I you know what? I agree as much as I I uh I stomped on the Hobbit uh, movies and I only saw the first two. I still haven't seen the third one. Yeah, and I much. walked out of, I walked out of the fir- the the first Hobbit movie, actually visibly angry to my cousin because that high frame rate garbage just didn't work. Oh, I liked it, but they improved I, it for the second one. I I watched the second one on HBO and it took me three viewings to get through it. Okay, because I just found it intolerable. It's um, I, I think that anyway. I think there's a thing that they did. It doesn't matter. I was going to get into like really technical garbage. No, no, please. Rate. No, we're talking about technical garbage. What's the technical garbage? Go on. Like, I think they messed with the shutter speed. I could be completely wrong about this, but I think that, that makes sense. in 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 the earlier movies, I think they did something where they they had the shutter either closed longer or open longer, and the result was like a certain like strobing effect and i think that they they figured that out they figured out that equation because the second one looked better than the first one and the third okay i agree with that and the sure. third one looked better than the second one I, I just in terms of the high frame rate and then i know that there's a, a little wrinkle here in that they didn't release it in 3D which is ridiculous but uh <laughs> billy lynn's long halftime walk they released that in in HDR and they released it like 120 frames a second where I'm like, why are you doing this? Our our eyes literally cannot process information that quickly. Like our eyes max out at like 50 frames per second, you know? So there's literally no reason to do 120 frames per second or so I thought. But whatever it is, when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is extremely vivid. It works extremely well. Now, obviously, there's very there's other variables, like no 3D there. But that's a technology which Cameron, I think, was the first guy to push. And it's just that he doesn't make movies fast enough. And, you know, you know, Peter Jackson got it out the door first. And then, you know, Ang Lee being the type of guy who's like, I'll try anything. Who cares? You know, he he, he puts it in And his... hence the Incredible Hulk. Yes, exactly. And... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Just Hulk. No, it's... In... Just Hulk. Oh, yeah, that one was No, just Incredible Hulk, Hulk right. was the Ed Norton yes. one that I actually kind of liked you're right, a little you're bit. You're right. It was just the Hulk. Yes. But, but Hulk was the one that was a train wreck. It, it was It was not tremendously good. 
but yes. you know, I mean, the the fact that he's like, I'm gonna make a little movie about some soldiers who come back home and uh, have to get up on stage during a halftime show in Dallas, you know, I mean, and he's like, and I'm gonna do this in, you know, 4K, 120 frames per second, 3D, you know, with high dynamic range, and. I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? And it's so awesome yeah. that when people saw it, they just like freaked out and lost their mind and said that the movie was, you know, there was a good movie inside of this garbage, which was unwatchable. And they pulled all of those releases except for like three. And somehow there was like a random theater in the suburbs of Chicago who somehow got away with showing it at 120 frames per second, completely unadvertised, and I saw it, and it looked amazing. And that's the type of thing I think that you're talking about, you know, being the first one through the door and, you know, getting your teeth kicked in and all this stuff. And it's like people don't like it because it's different, Mm -hmm. but you can't argue that it looks bad. It literally technically looks better. It looks it's it's just that we're used to looking at garbage. And I think that's kind of what you're saying in terms of like the film thing. And please, mm-hmm. no one write any letters about me calling film garbage, okay? Because I, I very at much... Mumbles 3K on Twitter, <laughs> folks. Direct all of your hate yes, toward him. Yes. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. I, I like like I, I just I've been saying this to everyone. Like I went to see Baby Driver in Dolby Vision, laser projected, high dynamic range. And then that night I went to see a brand new print of two thousand and one in seventy millimeter. And both of those experiences were absolutely stunning for completely different reasons. And, you know, both have their place. And, you know, that's the way it is. But as far as what you're saying, where it's like, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try something different. People are going to reject it. But once they get past that, maybe we can take it to a new place. And maybe we can reach another level. And, I mean, you can see that happening with film and digital and everything. And, you know, film's still there, hopefully, for people who do want to have that old thing, just like 24 frames a second are still there for people who want to, you know, literally live like in, in a reality which only exists because, <laughs> you know, film is expensive and, you know, cameras can't move fast enough, right? But, yeah, yeah I, there, there are okay. people who are doing it, you know? Okay. And and they're getting and they're getting stomped on just as hard as Lucas got stomped on for the prequels, you know. So basically, then your your response would be, and I, I I think I think I accept it at this point. Your your response would be that it's just that Lucas was the highest profile filmmaker to take that beating. Yeah, uh, especially from my perspective, and there are other filmmakers that are willing to do it, that are willing to push, but their beatings are a little bit more low key. They're just maybe getting hit in the kneecaps instead of you know, hit over the top of the head. I don't think they're even tremendously low key. I mean, Cameron. I mean, yes, Avatar was a massive success when it came out, you know, and ever since then, it's become a punching bag. And, you know, he says, 
I'm going to make four of these movies. And people are like, you are insane. And he's pushing the technology further and further. And, you know, with Ang Lee, I mean, yes, that is like a minor thing because no one was going to go see Billy Lynn's half, long halftime walk anyway, right? It's not like he was making, you know, a super-duper blockbuster. But right. even when he tries to, like, slip that in under the radar, people are like, no. Like, you literally are not allowed to release your movie in 3D or in, you know, high frame rate because people reject it. You know, even though you spent all of this time and money making this movie in the pushing the boundaries, because, you know, there are people who push boundaries by saying, like, I want to shoot it in 3D. I want to shoot it in high frame rate. I want to shoot it in 4K, whatever. He's like, he called it the whole shebang version. He's like, I'm making a little tiny character drama. I want to shoot it in everything, everything that you're talking about. Put it together into one massive package, which like there are literally only two theaters in the world which are capable of showing it this way. You know, do it all right here. And he did it and he showed it to people and people are like, no, you've got to release it in literally the most standard version you possibly can. So maybe that's the trick. Maybe that's the final permutation of it is that losing Lucas isn't losing the the only innovator or head innovator or anything like that. It's more that we lose an innovative series. Star Wars was going to make money no matter what it released itself as. No matter what format it came out as, no matter what technology he used, Star Wars would make money and so it would fund itself. And so to speak to you, you know, one of the points you talked about earlier, it was almost like a nonprofit organization. He took all of the money he made and he sunk it back into the organization to help drive film technology forward. So he's not taking his you know, his money and, and just running off with it and buying a, a Lamborghini. He's building Skywalker Ranch. He's building top-of-the-line facilities at ILM, those sorts of things. That's lost. It's a key component. So basically, Star Wars just becomes more a symbol of what is lost by the typical current connected universe mentality that's out there of we don't care about innovation. We care about pleasing the audience. And and the thing is, movies have always been about that. But at the very least, we used to have a movie series that made tons of cash and was about pushing the envelope as hard as it could. And so we lose that. So we lose a component. And so the Camerons and the Lees become more... more more uh, uh, siloed out, more singular, so you know, more capable for these big studios to ignore. Like Jim Cameron can do these things because he's Cameron, but another smaller filmmaker can't say, "Oh, I saw what Mr. Lucas did. I'm going to do that." Like he, you know, that he or she doesn't have that power behind their name to push the innovation forward. They 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 can't see something and say I want this and and push hard against that that wall. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Okay. I, I mean, yeah. 
you know what? Maybe somebody out there agrees with us. Maybe somebody out there disagrees with us. Maybe there's another permutation of the theory. You can reach out to us over on the nerdparty.com slash contact. Drop a line to Great Shot Kid. Let us know what you think. I mean, you know, about Lucas and, you know, his role as an innovator and what, you know, the, the net positive, net negative of him and, and of his leaving the industry. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Join Nerd Party. You can reach out to us over on Instagram at The Nerd Party. You can reach out to us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. Uh, those are all the official channels. Mike, where can people find you online if they want to debate the finer points of Avatar with you? You can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And I do like Avatar quite a bit, by the way. Um, and you can also find me on... <laughs> um, uh, you can find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary track stars, And you can find me on uh, TalkFilmSociety.com doing Soderbergh2828. And who's he's a very big innovator in terms of digital stuff, by the way, um, photography, mm. uh, especially. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he's super hardcore okay. into digital, um, huh. and uh, and he does it the right way. You know, he's very much of the Lucas school of like, we're not trying to make this look like film. We're trying to make it look like its own thing. We're trying to make it look as good as it can look. So anyway, yeah. Um, and okay. you can also uh, find me on Trek.fm doing Stage 9 with you. Ah, yes. Stage 9 with me over on Trek.fm. You can also find me uh, back here on the network doing Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. And you can find me doing uh, Words with Nerds with my pal Craig uh, out there free-floating, not on a network. And you can also find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. Um, and actually pretty much any social network, uh, because that's my name out there online. So, uh, thank you for joining us, uh, for this great shot kid about innovation in film. Uh, let us know what you think and we will see you next week here on great shot. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.